Hi, I'm Irene Yanku, and this is my podcast. I have spent my entire... This episode is sponsored by our friends at Philips. Uh, obviously, you can see that we've been recording here if you're watching this on YouTube. I'd like to introduce you all to Lindsay Daly, who is the Professional Education Manager for Canada. Correct. Also an RDH. Yes. Also a science freak. And all, <laughs> yes. Yes. And also a really cool person. And, oh, thanks. Um, today's topic that we want to discuss is whitening sensitivity. And I use that as a very broad topic more so sensitivity management prevention and what dental professionals can expect or sh- the conversations we should have with our patients before we decide what we're going to do whether it be take home whether it be an in-office zoom procedure um what should that conversation kind of look like and how do we as clinicians take this as part of the the process of care, not just like managing something if it happens at the end. Right, so like we know with whitening and not just Philips products, with whitening we can have sensitivity. The reason is because of that fluid movement and the tubules and um, so sensitivity happens sometimes, right? And um, we tend to react reactively when it's already there Um, and usually desensitizing agents don't start working right away. So it takes a couple of weeks for, uh, you know, potassium nitrate to start working. So we should be kind of dealing with it proactively, like you said, versus reactively because uh, sensitivity is actually, I believe, don't quote me on this, but one of the top reasons that patients don't fulfill the treatment recommendation on whitening. I mean, anecdotally, I can tell you that that's that's the first question is, you know, they'll click off on their medical history that they are dissatisfied with the color of their teeth. And when you ask, have they whitened before, are they considering any form of whitening? They're like, I've heard that it makes your teeth sensitive. And they immediately use the P word, pain, versus, you know, it being a temporary discomfort. Um, and maybe that's just because there wasn't a protocol in place. There wasn't a protocol. And wherever... Wherever they went and like, you know, so and then if they're dissatisfied with and then if you ask them, oh, you did whitening, were you happy with the color? Sometimes they say, oh, no, I didn't really work. Then the next question should be, well, did you finish the two weeks or the whatever was recommended? No, my teeth were sensitive. So it's exactly a protocol. So you want to address it. So we suggest when you're doing in office, um, I've seen your post that you you did talk about the the protocol. So you want to recommend a desensitizing toothpaste for your patient two weeks before. Um, you know, you can recommend ibuprofen um, yeah. about a half an hour prior to treatment for in-office if that's okay and not contraindicated yeah. for your patient. Um, we also suggest using Relief ACP, which is found in the in-office kits. Yeah. Um, it's a phenomenal product. There's amorphous calcium phosphate, so you kind of block those tubules, mm-hmm. uh, partially block them, and then you have the potassium nitrate. So you, that comes in the in-office whitening kit. So we always suggest making those trays in advance prior to doing the in-office treatment so that you can send that home with your patient direct them to wear the ACP prior to coming in. They can even use it for a week or so before. They can leave your office wearing the trays with it in their mouth. It really just helps things be more comfortable. How do you feel about a high parts per million, aside from like an over-the-counter potassium nitrite toothpaste? How do you feel about like a high 
750, 900, 1100, right. 5,000 5, parts yep. per million. 100% sodium fluoride. Yeah. That's very important that it's sodium uh, right. because something like stainless fluoride uh, does completely block the tubules, so it can interfere with, with the results. With the results. Um, and as, as well, it does stain. So yeah. you want to stick with the sodium fluoride. So, yeah. yes, or there's like MI paste yeah. um, that are, are partially blocking the yeah. tubules. So solutions yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. absolutely. And I think when, when someone comes to you and says, I don't want to whiten my teeth because of the fear of sensitivity, you can confidently say, we've, we've got a process in place for that. Uh, if it's not for sensitivity, is there any other reason why you wouldn't want to do it? Then like, right, exactly. let us control that. So number one is take those impressions ASAP. Right. Right away. Don't wait to take them in between sessions like a lot of people do. Right. Like patient comes in, they're seated. You take their you take their impression and then you put on the gel and the fifteen minute timer and you're frantically We're running to pour. Your stone hardens right, and to, then you yeah. come back. You take the gel off. You put another layer. You run out. You separate them and you drop them yeah. and then you're back and then you cut them and like we've done that. Yeah, we've all done it. We've all Let's done be it. honest. Yeah. Yeah. But is it the best course of action? No. So take the impressions right away. Yeah. If you know you have someone that suffers from sensitivity, sensitivity send right. them home with the ACP gel right. and a higher parts per million right. toothpaste Pace. or a toothpaste for sensitivity. sensitivity. Yeah. Make sure two. it's not the rapid relief or yeah. a pro, pro, uh, pro right. relief. It's because they completely yeah. uh, block the tubules and it can interfere. Yeah. So you want to do so we a like potassium a, nitrate. So we like a ClinPro 5000. We like a MI paste. We like a sensitivity, like Sensodyne. Sensodyne. Yep. The, like regular the Sensodyne. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. the OG one. Yep. So those are three good ones. And obviously they come in a different price point too. Right. So that. And right. then... In over the counter um, Advil for you can do it, for, yeah, inflam- for the inflammatory, mm-hmm. and then take take those trays home right up, ACP, right away. Yeah, during procedure, the clinician or whoever's pre- performing the procedure can paint the relief ACP on, on the, the linguals okay. to help during the procedure. Um, so that's all kind of in office. So you, how do you do that? Just with like a little Q-tip or something? Yeah, you can just use a little, like a, a little, little brush. micro brush, mm-hmm. micro brush. Yeah, and just that helps on the too. Yep. And then yeah. another tip and trick uh, that I use is if I notice that there's uh, wear on the lower Lic- upper end tiers, I take the liquid, liquid dam. dam. Yeah. Yeah. I take the liquid dam to the incisal yeah. edges. I even kind of go down a little bit yeah, on the even, lingual yeah, side. Yeah. And you can go down on the lingual. You can go up if there's uh, abfraction or yeah. cover because because the whitening happens in the dentin. Yeah. You're not going to have what we call like a little tan spots. line. Yeah. yeah. It, the tooth will whiten. Yeah. So it help protect and make that patient comfortable. Awesome. Well, mm-hmm. you heard it here first, y'all. Thank you, Lindsay, for You're these welcome. tips. Always a and hopefully this helps clinicians feel a little bit more comfortable getting over that, you know, initial barrier. Yeah. Because yep. nobody wants discomfort. No. I and mean, you don't want your patient and, to be And that's not a good referral for us, no, too. Absolutely. Right? No. Those Google reviews are very valuable. They are very cool. valuable. Yeah. Here's our episode. Higher career in dentistry, learning. Learning about new technology, techniques to better my clinical skills, and now I'm a practice owner and leader. In life, as a learner, I've noticed my truest love for learning has not been about teeth or what material is best used for a core buildup. It's been learning about people in our dental community. The educators, scientists, clinicians, business owners, and advocates. Their stories, their lives, their why, and their what's next. Getting to know them as humans, identifying how they work, what their rituals are, while highlighting them as the true trailblazers in dentistry. And that's what I do here on the show. So hold on to your suction. It's about to get slippery here on the Tooth or Dare podcast.
Welcome back to part two with Carrie, not Highland Lepicek, <laughs> at ODA in Toronto, recording live from the trade show floor um, at our the Phillips booth. And we're going to talk about bugs. In the first episode, you heard all about Carrie's journey from her wild time and wild days at York University, spending <laughs> money, working for her dad, yep. hating her life and loving her life all at the same time. And you ended with where we are today and how you are conveying this message to fellow dental professionals, not just dental hygienists, like broad spectrum yep. of what these standards of care should look like within our individual practice. So I, I, I think it's interesting that like when we say in my practice, it always means like within the four walls of that operatory or in the full space of your office. I think each one of us should have our own internal philosophies on how we practice, and it might be very different than the person that shares the wall on the other side. Um, is that something that you've always been able to do? Kind of like separate yourself from like the other clinicians? Or This episode is sponsored by our friends at Philips. Uh, obviously, you can see that we've been recording here if you're watching this on YouTube. I'd like to introduce you all to Lindsay Daly, who is the Professional Education Manager for Canada. Correct. Also an RDH. Yes. Also a science freak. And all, <laughs> yes. Yes. And also a really cool person. Oh, thanks. Um, today's topic that we want to discuss is whitening sensitivity. And I use that as a very broad topic. More so sensitivity management, prevention, and what dental professionals can expect or sh the conversations we should have with our patients before we decide what we're going to do, whether it be take home, whether it be an in-office Zoom procedure. Um, what should that conversation kind of look like and how do we as clinicians take this as part of the, the process of care, not just like managing something if it happens at the end. Right, so like we know with whitening and not just Philips products, with whitening we can have sensitivity. The reason is because of that fluid movement and the tubules and um, so sensitivity happens sometimes, right? And um, we tend to react reactively when yeah. it's already there um, and usually desensitizing agents don't start working right away. So it takes a couple of weeks for uh, you know potassium nitrate to start working. So we should be kind of dealing with it proactively, like you yeah. said, versus reactively because uh, sensitivity is actually, I believe, I'm, don't quote me on this, but one of the top reasons that patients don't fulfill the treatment recommendation on whitening. I mean, so anecdotally, I can tell you that that's, one of, that's the first question is, you know, they'll click off on their medical history that they are dissatisfied with the color of their teeth. And when you ask, have they whitened before, are they considering any form of whitening? They're like, I've heard that it makes your teeth sensitive. And they immediately use the P word, pain, right. versus, you know, it being a temporary discomfort. <laughs> Um, and maybe that's just because there wasn't a protocol in place. There wasn't where, a protocol. And exactly. wherever... You know? Wherever they went and like, you know, so and then if they're dissatisfied with and then 
if you ask them, oh, you did whitening, were you happy with the color? Sometimes they say, oh, no, I didn't really work. And then the next question should be, well, did you finish the yeah. two weeks or the whatever was recommended? No, my teeth were sensitive. So it's exactly a protocol. Yeah. So you want to address it. So we suggest when you're doing in-office, um, I've seen your post that you you did talk about the, yeah. the protocol. So you want to recommend a desensitizing toothpaste for your yeah. patient two weeks before. Um, you know, you can recommend ibuprofen um, yeah. about a half an hour prior to treatment for in office if that's okay and not contraindicated yeah. for your patient. Um, we also suggest using Relief ACP, which is found in the in-office kits. Yeah. Um, it's a phenomenal product. There's amorphous calcium phosphate, so you kind of block those tubules, mm -hmm. uh, partially block them, and then you have the potassium nitrate. So you, that comes in the in-office whitening kit. So we always suggest making those trays in advance prior to doing the in-office treatment so that you can send that home with your patient direct them to wear the ACP prior to coming in. They can even use it for a week or so before. They can leave your office wearing with the trays in. with it in their mouth. It yeah. really just helps things be more comfortable. How do you feel about a high parts per million, aside from like an over-the-counter potassium nitrite toothpaste? What do you? How do you feel about like a high... 750, 900, 1100, right. 5,000 5, parts yep. per million. 100%. Sodium fluoride. Yeah. That's very important that it's sodium uh, right. because something like stainless fluoride uh, does completely block the tubules, so it can interfere with, with the results. With the results. Um, and as, as well, it does stain. So yeah. you want to stick with the sodium fluoride. So, yeah. yes. Or there's like MI paste yeah. um, that are, are partially blocking the yeah. tubules. So solutions yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. absolutely. And I think when, when someone comes to you and says, I don't want to whiten my teeth because of the fear of sensitivity. You can confidently say we've, we've got a process in place for that. Uh, if it's not for sensitivity, is there any other reason why you wouldn't want to do it? Then like, right, exactly. let us control that. So number one is take those impressions ASAP right. right away. Don't wait to take them in between sessions like a lot of people do. Right. Like patient comes in, they're seated. You take their you take their impression and then you put on the gel in the fifteen minute timer and you're frantically We're running to pour. Your stone hardens right, and to, then you yeah. come back. You take the gel off. You put another layer. You run out. You separate them and you drop them. Yeah. And then you're back. And then you cut them. And like we've done that. Yeah, we've all done it. We've all Let's done be it. honest. Yeah. Yeah. But is it the best course of action? No. So take the impressions right away. Yeah. If you know you have someone that suffers from sensitivity, sensitivity send right. them home with the ACP gel right. and a higher parts per million right. toothpaste or a toothpaste for sensitivity. sensitivity. Yeah. Make sure two. it's not the rapid relief or yeah. a pro, pro, uh, pro right. relief. You want a it's because they completely yeah. uh, block the tubules and it can interfere. Yeah. So you want to do so we a like potassium a, nitrate. So we like a ClinPro 5000. We like a MI paste. We like a sensitivity, like Sensodyne. Yep, the, like regular Sensodyne. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep. the OG one. Yep. So those are three good ones. And obviously they come in a different price point too. Right. So that. And right. then... In over the counter um, Advil for you can do it, for, yeah, prior, for the inflammatory, mm -hmm. and then take take those trays home right up, ACP, right away. Yeah, during procedure, the clinician or whoever's pre performing the procedure can paint the relief ACP on, on the, the linguals okay. to help during the procedure. Um, so that's all kind of in office. So you, how do you do that? Just with like a little Q-tip or something? Yeah, you can just use a little, like a, a little, little brush. micro brush, mm -hmm, micro brush. Yeah, and just that helps on the too. Yep. And then yep. another tip and trick 
uh, that I use is if I notice that there's uh, wear on the lower Lic upper end tiers, I take the liquid, liquid dam. dam. Yeah. Yeah, I take the liquid dam to the incisal yeah. edges. I even kind of go down a little bit yeah, you on can the even, lingual yeah, side. Yeah, and you can go down on the lingual. You can go up if there's uh, abfraction or yeah. cover because because the whitening happens in the dentin. Yeah. You're not going to have what we call like a little tan spots. line. Yeah. yeah. It, the tooth will whiten. Yeah. So it helps protect and make that patient comfortable. Awesome. Well, mm -hmm. you heard it here first, y'all. Thank you, Lindsay, for You're these welcome. tips. Always a pleasure. And hopefully this helps clinicians feel a little bit more comfortable getting over that, you know, initial barrier. Yeah. Because yep. nobody wants discomfort. No. I and mean, you don't want your patient and, to be And that's not a good referral for us, no, too. Absolutely. Right? No. Those Google reviews are very valuable. They are very cool. valuable. Yeah. Here's our episode. That's a good question. It is hard. Um, it is hard to separate yourself because if you see that other people are not necessarily reaching for the stars as much or going that extra mile, it's very easy to be like, well, you know, Ruth, which I've never worked with a Ruth, so I'm not pulling anybody out just for the record. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, Ruth doesn't do this and Ruth doesn't do that, so why should I? Yeah. I always just say, like, it, I want to do what I can do. If that was my mom, if that was my grandma, if that was, you know, someone that I cared for, I want to just give them my all to try sure. to go further. So I have, and I also work with Dr. Hygiene, and he Dr. Hygiene, only, is, that, is that, that dad? That is a.k.a. dad, a.k.a. Papa, Jim. Jim. We're serious, we call we're him Jim. Jim. Um, and he always, always pushed us to go the extra mile, but I've not always worked in a practice where he's owned it. Sure. So in those situations, I do find that I still strive to do that. And what I have found from pushing and trying to follow this direction and, and do a little different, I'm shocked after a period of time, the inspiration I have had within the teams that just watch it happen. They're like, yeah whoa, you make it look so easy. I'm like, well, let's talk about this. Let's see how we can, I can help you. And I think that that's sometimes the, the easiest way to help move people. But you don't always have to do the exact same thing in the same four walls. I agree. Yeah. I mean, it sucks, though. And I say this because in the this is the one of the biggest reasons why I opened my own office is because I didn't have control over patients. Not control over, like, their time scheduled. Like, that was one thing. But control over their outcomes I felt like I worked in a big office with multiple clinicians and everyone did something a little differently, but nobody did everything the same. Yeah. And I would have buy my own disclosing agent because they wouldn't buy it for me. And yep. it was a bigger practice, like three floors. Mm -hmm. We had four docs, multiple hygienists, a lot of restorative hygienists. And I was, I was eager. Like I was yep. the youngest, newest one and I was the eager one, but I was producing more because yep. I was doing more because patients needed more. Yep. Whereas Margaret, the girl on the other side of the wall, I did work with a Margaret. She's probably long retired now, so she doesn't care. <laughs> um, Margaret had a Profijet and never used it. Like, yep. And this is, you know, I've been practicing for 17 years now. So this is five to six years ago. Yeah. And now I struggled with that. And she was making more than me because she'd been there the longest. She had the I know. room with the window. She had the I biggest know. amount of space. And I was like in a dungeon, could barely move my chair from, I couldn't sit at 12 o'clock. And uh -huh. I, I could barely sit at 8. I could only sit between 10 and 11 for every surface. <laughs> and I had the shittiest instruments because everyone would pawn. Like as soon as a new person comes in, what do yep. they do? They start oh, going through the drawers. It's like, we got a new hygienist coming in next week. We need to take yep. all of the good things and give her exactly. the Exactly. Oh, let want. me see what I'm missing, and I'm going to make sure right. I have oh, everything. I'm going to hoard it all. This 11-12 looks better than this 11-12. Like, I'm going to give her that one. 
Yes. I think that was, and I struggled with that the most. I was like, I can't, I can't, how do I expect to do my job to the best of my abilities if I don't have the resources to be able to do it? So, like, I was very vocal about it to yes. the point where people hated me. I am very vocal now. I did not find my voice, honestly, for probably the first 10 years because I worked yeah. with my dad and I didn't want to disrupt things. But then at a certain point, I was like, okay, I'm going to be the voice for the hygienist. Yeah. And they were always like, hey, Carrie, you go talk to your dad. I'm like, okay. Oh, Jim. I go, go talk to, yeah, at that point it's like, Jim, we need to discuss something. We're not all in agreement. But I have found now that I, I really am sort of that, that squeaky wheel for what's right for the patients. Yeah. Because I think if you can follow that, what's right for the patients, you are going to make the biggest change and difference ulti ultimately. Yeah. Tell me about Oravital. So I know a little bit about the beginning of it and a little bit about the m kind of merger between Anne and your yep. dad. She had the Fresh Breath Clinic. Yep. And then somehow those two became together. I don't know how. So mm -hmm. I'd love for you to share that story. And then let's talk about Orvital testing. So All right. the first bacterial testing yep. company in at least in Ontario. Yep. yep. I mean, I was familiar with it from my first practice that I worked in. Um, uh, not first, second, third practice. So early 2011, mm -hmm. 2012. Yeah. Um, you, your, your main building was like across the street from us at York Mills. Yep. And Don Mills. Don Mills. Yeah. Yes. Lawrence, yeah. It was somewhere yep. around there. Yep. So I remember like going to that training, walking to the training where I had to test out all of the rinses and, um, <laughs> And that was that was in it. it was a very new thing for me. I graduated dental hygiene school. I've been practicing for a few years, and then I start working at this office. Like, cool, you need to do. There was no DNA testing at the time. No, it was, it was gram stain. It was gram staining, and I got to meet a or like a microbiologist. Yep. Japanese yep. lady. Yep. And Shin. And it was. Yep. She's still there. No, no. No. I remember meeting her, and she was really cool. And and then I was like, great. So like, what now? What? So where did where did Oravital come from? So Anne Bozy was the founder and the, the thought behind everything. So she had the halitosis treatment center that was sort of worldwide. People fresh would breath fresh clinic. breath clinic, yeah, yeah. yes. And so that's how it all started. And then um, the legacy of that, it was, we didn't want it to die. We didn't want it to go go away. Yeah. And so they rebranded really as Oravital. Yeah. And um, and how it all started was, you know, we were the first dental, Jim was the first dental dentist to kind of buy into this philosophy. And he was like, wait a minute, hold on. You mean you're telling me that if I look at the bacterial count in the patient's mouths, I can then assess their halitosis different. And when I treat halitosis, um, their gums get a whole bunch, a whole lot better from oral hygiene, from nutrition, from medication. He's like, I want to know more about this. And that's how it all sort of started. And then over the last 15 years, it just has sort of grown and changed depending on the industry. And, you know, we're across, uh, you can do like across Canada, across the U.S., uh, Bermuda, Australia, like cool. different people are doing testing now across the, across the world. And that's really how it began. And then um, my dad became the CEO, um, I guess, a few years ago. And we just sort of have taken it and helped grow all together. And I generally am the director of training. So I help offices integrate and, and train this yeah. and understand how they can use it in their daily practice now. Yeah. And if you've ever attended any of my lectures, my sp the specific lecture, Bacteria Gone Wild, I share patient cases. So I go from the beginning to even relapse Yep. Um, and kind of demonstrate with a bunch of other things kind of thrown in. Um, so uh, there's so much that we miss as dental hygienists when we can't identify it. So like yes. taking, taking us back to like our first episode or first part where 
if you can't see it, then you're missing it. Using yep. disclosing agent being not a shame factor. And I think that that patients think that it's to, to create shame that they're not brushing or flossing well. So when you tell them that you're going to turn your teeth purple or blue, they immediately think back to when they were a kid mm -hmm. and you would give them a tablet. Yeah. They would yep. run and, and then be forced to brush all of the biofilm off. So then they're like, oh, yeah, I've had that before. And it's like, I don't floss. I don't brush as much as I should be. And they immediately think it's this tactic. Um, I use the phrase that I'm doing this not for you to see, but for me to see. And mm -hmm. I'm not, this is not to shame you for not brushing or flossing your teeth. The reality is we all have biofilm. It's just a matter of how much and where it is. And it's yep. for us to understand that when you go home, you're focusing on those areas. And then when you're here with me, I'm able to focus on those areas too. But it's this like perception that people have had in the past. It's like, well, now that I can see it, it's shameful. Yep. Um, tell me about if you were a new clinician mm -hmm. and you're thinking about elevating your perio practice, so you've you know mastered the art of scaling and root planing, quote unquote, yep. and you're you know doing oral hygiene instruction to the best of your ability without disclosing agent, mm -hmm. which is difficult. Yes. Um, and the first thing you're bringing in is now using disclosing agent and spending twice the amount of time scaling someone's teeth because you don't have the right tools perhaps to remove all that biofilm. And now someone's gums are bleeding profusely, constantly. Insert bacterial testing. What does that first step look like? What do you do? What's the So first thing I want to... You, I have found in general, in order to change patients' behavior, you've got to connect with them. And so finding that why behind the do. So I would relate the bleeding. I would talk about the bleeding in relation to oral systemic health. There's no such I've, thing as just a little bleeding, right? No, you can't be just a little pregnant or have just a little cancer. You either do or you don't. Right. And that's literally what I say to patients. I'm like, if you are bleeding, you know, if you washed your hands and they bled, you'd be terrified. How come you can brush your teeth? and it's just a little right. bleeding or I just had a great cleaning with Carrie. I'm like, those are not great things. We right. have normalized, in the, our profession, we have normalized bleeding because people don't realize that you can have patients come in and be pregnant and see them on a regular basis and have little to no bleeding at all. Like mm -hmm. that can be your life. It's just, you have to have a different focus. And it, it, we need to remove the scale and the tartar 100%, but we are fighting a biofilm disease. Right. And without biofilm, we're not going to have caries. Without biofilm, we're not going to have perio. And so if we can figure out a way to balance that biofilm, sorry, let me correct what I said. You can never have no biofilm. It has to have a balanced biofilm. Sure. Let me just correct what I was saying. Right. Um, then we're in a better zone. So I try to relate it to the bleeding. I try to relate it to their health history. And I'll say, you know, with the risk that you have, I think what we want to identify is all the risk factors so we can slow down the progression and have a better handle on it. And patients right now, especially post-COVID shutdown, are open to risk analysis. They're used to testing. Yeah. And that's usually how I bring it in. I'm like, listen, your family, you tell me that your mom and dad have lost their teeth from perio. And you've got a lot of inflammation and you've got more bone loss than what we would expect given your age. I'm really concerned. Let's test and evaluate your risk level. And let's figure out the best strategy to help reduce the chances that that's going to happen to you as well. And yeah. I know we've got some predictable things we can offer that are going to really get you into the healthy zone. Interesting. So, and then the patient says, well, why do gums bleed? Well. What do you say? Because you'd be surprised. So I've, I, I, have, I have a new grad who I just hired. Yes. Hello, Carol, if you're listening. She probably is. Uh, and then I have a relatively new grad who's been with me for a year and a half now. Mm -hmm. What's up, Krisha? Krisha's finally 
feeling comfortable. Yep. And answering those point blank questions. Carol's working on it, right? Yep. Yep. So it's almost like we need a little script of like, so if a patient says, why do my gums bleed? What do you say? I usually say it's related because you have, you've not been as effective in cleaning them or massaging them as you need to. Yeah. And so that's when I bring in the oral hygiene, I bring in the, the communication and I say, listen, if we're uh, removing your biofilm on a daily basis, if you're doing that daily biofilm removal or whatever term you wanna use and they're still bleeding, then we need to worry about leukemia, we need to worry about other things. Sure. So let's see if we can put a real focus on your home care and your self care because that will then help to reduce the inflammation and the bleeding. Yeah. And usually you're bleeding because there's an infection and there's a problem. Yeah. And so if the gums are sore when you're cleaning them, it means that they're usually swollen and inflamed. And if they're bleeding, it means that there's an infection. Yeah. So I use those words with my patients and they're like, Ooh, how do I fix it? Yeah. I'm like, you disclose them. You talk to them about bleeding. They're like, how do I fix it? I'm like, it's very easy. We're going to use a systematic approach. We're going to take a test. We're going to evaluate your risk level. We're going to understand your levels. We're going to come up with a great plan and we're going to get you healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it's very important to have a prevention plan in place as well as a, mm -hmm. you know, restorative plan, perio restorative plan. Yes. We forget about the prevention part a lot. And we, we, we are like, cool, like hamster reel, three month, four month scale. Um, and I, I heard someone on a podcast say that they are okay with their patients having 20% bleeding sites or less. And I would love to ask this person, why why that 20%? Like who, who said that that 20% number is, is why acceptable. not 10? Why we're not zero? Why not 30? And she uh, said that she's cool with 20%. You ever heard that? I haven't. I generally will tell my patients because I don't want them to always feel like they're failing sure. when they're coming in. And so I say hard, to them, right? it is. And But I don't talk percentages because percentages don't mean anything. I find to my patients when I'm looking at them in the eyes, I actually talk the number of bleeding points. Yeah. So I will say you had... 10 bleeding points out of 168 or you had 55 bleeding points out of 168 or whatever that number is and I'll say to them listen if you have less than 10 bleeding points when I'm doing a full mouth perio probe then I can really spend time detailing those hot spot areas mm -hmm. and so my goal for everyone is to have less than 10 now if they have an implant my number is less than that if they have halitosis my number is less than that because their body and their host immune response may be higher but generally speaking I try to give them that zone of less than 10 bleeding points because then I don't want them to feel like they're failing right. and most of my patients have met me right there even after COVID and not coming in for two years they're like what are my bleeding points like Carrie I'm like oh my gosh you yeah. have three this is great you've been doing your work and you've been letting us do the work we need to do in our clinic too yeah I do two photos. I mm -hmm. do a disclosing agent photo with the Optrigate in, and then yep. after I've removed all the biofilm, I do another disclosing, like without the Picture. disclosing yep. agent on. And then I, some people want it like digitally. Most people want it printed. I don't know why they still want printed <laughs> photos, but I print them side yep. by side, like one on top of the other. We have like a little template, and then I draw on it because it's hard for them to then understand like without seeing the purple. Mm -hmm. So I draw on it and then I write, I have different colored highlighters. I write what tool should be used mm -hmm. where yep. because it may not need soft picks everywhere. Or I mean, nope. a rubber tip is nice to use on the whole mouth, but it takes 10 minutes to do mm -hmm. it properly. And most people just jam it in there. They think it's a toothpick. Uh, <laughs> they don't do the like open and close, you know? No. Um, so I write on that and say like, this is what needs to get done in these specific areas. Um, and that, 
tends to work. Mm -hmm. uh, people say that they keep it in their bathroom and yep. they kind of look at it in the bathroom until we reevaluate. So that's like a good technique if you have a hard time like connecting with someone. Absolutely. After the fact. Absolutely. So, so we do a test. So there's two types of tests that can be done today. Let's talk about the the, the original OG gangster test. Okay. The yes. Oral vital original test. Um, glass slab, three little circles. Yep. You would take samples with either a soft pick or floss yep. from in between the teeth, and you'd put it, you'd smear it on that yep. glass slide. And Anne taught us too many years ago was that we need to look at the bacteria on the tongue yeah, and the throat the area, throat. back of the throat, I do that exactly. One last. Yes, because it was the it was a fun it's experience for the patient. It's it's you, to get a really good reading, you have to get as far back as like the attachment of. Uh -huh. tongue to soft tissue. Yeah, exactly. It's the, it's the gagging area. It's behind the biggest of the, the, the taste buds. I know. And you know what was fascinating? When we looked at the, the areas from on the tongue and on the, uh, the teeth, often that back of the tongue area was just as infected and just had just as much pathogens present yeah. as the teeth. And it's like, well, if people aren't gargling, if people aren't rinsing, you know, this is what they're swallowing all the time. Yeah. We need to reduce that load. We need to make sure that their tongues are clean, that their, their cheeks are clean. And that's really how it shifted sort of what I recommend from looking at the reports themselves. So that was the initial section. We would divide it. You'd have a report either of each quadrant or um, of three spots on the back of the tongue, the top of the tongue, and between the teeth. And it was really fascinating to kind of have that. Yeah. And then now fast forward, we're using DNA analysis with qPCR machinery. And we're evaluating not only gram-negative anaerobes, but we're looking at um, yeast and we're looking at strep mutans. Yeah. So it's sort of an overall assessment. And there are many uh, choices. I'm so excited that there are choices out there now for DNA because when we were sort of pioneering, there was nobody else. Yeah. And now there are a lot more coming to market. And so you've got to look at the sampling technique because there are different choices out there. Um, there are some that you can just spit into a tube yeah. and that gives you your reports. There are ones that use paper points that take samples from subgingival. And Orovitals, what we do is we use a combination of paper points because we want that subgingival sample. Yeah. I want that sub, I want, I want to know specific sites, especially if I've been like mm -hmm. struggling with something for a while. Yeah. Like you get to a point where you're like, okay, so now what? Like this area is still bleeding. Mm -hmm. I've removed all the calculus. I've used medicaments i've tried whatever minocycline yep. like you you know you try all of these other site specific things i've done my laser therapy and the area is still presenting with a pocket and bleeding and then you check occlusion like it's it's very multifactorial absolutely so the paper i want the paper points like yes. I, I don't want to just spit in the tube like spit in the tube we're, we're testing for covid like what are we doing here like okay great spit in the tube is fabulous if the mouth is not, no one, nothing's bleeding and perhaps it's a halitosis thing. Yes. But if I'm, if I'm talking periotherapy, I want to know what's in that pocket. I agree. I agree. And that's what makes a difference. And the other thing is we're dealing with like biofilm that's filled with polysaccharides and sticky and, and slimy. So you also want to scrape, we use a little pad and it scrapes or, or rubs the surface of the yeah. tongue. So it's really getting that biofilm yeah. because if it's not free floating, you're not going to maybe pick it up on the other types of sampling techniques. And different areas will have yes. different pathogens. Yes, yeah. exactly. So it's really neat how it's moved forward and the, the opportunity 
opportunities that are out there and some of the new stuff that's going to be coming out in the future with testing and the array of different pathogens you can look at. But when you're looking at companies, you want to look at what pathogens they're testing and why and look at their sampling techniques. Yeah. So um, it is very fascinating to kind of bring it all together. And I have found that with the paper points and with the swab, we really get a true picture of what's happening. Yeah. And I like the description. So when you send a when you, if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll probably, I'll post up a couple of reports, but I like that you're not expecting people to be microbiologists when they receive this report back. It's pretty self-explanatory. And each pathogen that is identified mm -hmm. is also described. Like mm -hmm. you will notice this if this happens. Um, and even things like scent, mm -hmm. smells, um, other systemic, markers or conditions like it really helps you be able to have that conversation to the patient i'm looking at one here does it say no uh but you know you know what i'm yeah, trying to say like i do P. gingivalis or yes. whatever strep mutans it'll it'll tell you exactly what those are connected to orally and then also systemically yes so that kind of takes one it takes one thing, thing out of it and it the table for for a clinician Absolutely. And it really helps to bring that aspect together. It's like, well, this is what it is. And I have a family history of this, or I have a risk for that. And so it's about trying to balance out the biofilm to the best of the ability, get rid of the big, bad bullies, uh, get them down as low, as low as possible. Um, so that way then your body and your host immune response are not fighting it anymore. Yeah. That's the goal. Of the cocktail. So you work with a pharmacy, a, a compounding pharmacy. Mm -hmm that will take the results that the microbiologist kind of puts together and we'll say, okay, based on the findings and the pathogens that we identify, mm -hmm. we see that there's high counts of X, Y, and Z. They respond well to either metronidazole or mm -hmm. tetracycline or a combination of the two yeah. um, or amoxicillin. Mm -hmm. And what do you find is the most common? I mean, these so bug bugs are intercommunicated right now. We're swapping them just sitting like, you know, three feet from one another. What, what are you finding that most people use use or have? So with the pathogens? Yeah. The pathogens? So the most common pathogens that we usually find are FN, for sure, because we know that that's the orange complex. That's one of the bridging species that brings in all of their friends. They're kind of like, you know, they call yeah. in all their big bad guys. And then you usually find PM um, and definitely TF and TD and PG are usually the, the yeah. most. I guess they're all there. Yes. They it's, all hang out. At the same, they all hang out. They all, the all the cool tailgate. kids start coming in yeah. to, uh, to party. And what, what um, cocktail helps... The best? The best with that kind So of it mix. depends. I would say usually it's a metronidazole based because yeah. we know that there's great literature out there for metronidazole. But the difference with Orovital is instead of taking, you've got choices of medication. You can take them systemically or you can take the medication in a rinse. And that's yeah. what Anne found many years ago. And that's what I have seen huge changes in my patients because I'm not worrying about the gut biome. They're swishing medication sure. around and spitting it out. So it usually is metronidazole based with Nystatin yeah. because what we found when we looked early on in those infantry years was that yeast was actually quite elevated mm -hmm. and we needed to look at um, the yeast and make sure that the yeast was more controlled. And so it's usually a metronidazole Nystatin or a metronidazole amoxicillin, nystatin, given risk factors mm. and pathogen load. So if someone has implantitis, mucositis, yeah. um, significant health history concerns and risks, then usually it also includes the amoxicillin. Yeah. I think that it's so valuable that you're doing like all of that heavy lifting, you know, that you're creating a system that someone could follow, but have a deviated plan from it based mm -hmm. on what you're finding. 
and like you've staffed highly educated people to then be able to look at these numbers. The reports yes. are really cool because it shows you like in the red what what mm -hmm. an elevated number would be. What's the measurement of it? So it's done in a um, logarithmic scale of 10. Okay. And so these numbers all represent different um, counts of bacteria. So when you look at all the reports, if you see a two or you see a four, it could be um, 100 or it could be 10,000 counts of bacteria. bacteria. It depends on right. the bacteria and where the thresholds are, which are all the bars and the lines across all of the reports on ours, anything below the yellow line is considered low risk. Yeah. Anything between the yellow and red is a moderate risk for that patient and above the red line is high risk so that can definitely be uh, quite a concern but what people fail to realize is that they will just look at it and say oh I only have this pathogen or only that pathogen but all of these bacteria live in the same stew they all right. live in the same soup so it's how do those bacteria react and what is your host immune response what is your sleep like what is your airway like what is your um what is your sleep like? What is your airway like? What is um, you know your oral hygiene routine like? Because everybody will respond a bit differently yeah. to the levels of pathogens, yeah. which has been fascinating looking at these. And you've seen some of them. It's like, I expect them to have so many pathogens based on the inflammation and markers. And I'm like, wait a minute, there's not as many big bad guys there yeah. as I expected, but their body is responding that way. Interesting. So to close off, how would you envision this being part of a new patient experience? So new practice, someone's mm -hmm. coming to see you for the first time, and you've got all of this tech. And I, this is a struggle that I have, is I want to give everyone everything all at the beginning. Yes. I want to set them up for success from day one and set the expectation that we do things a little differently here. Mm -hmm. Some patients feel like, whoa, 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 my last office, they used blueberry polish, and then I got a baggie with a manual toothbrush, which I don't, I don't hand out manual toothbrushes. I hand out electric toothbrushes to every human. How how do you how do you have that chat? So do you I dismiss them? Do you dismiss the do patient? You, do you tell the patient? Oh. so this is what I do. Let me okay. tell me tell me if this is wrong. So when we do our first new patient exam for hygiene, mm -hmm. the expectation is the exam gets completed, and if I can do hygiene, yep. then I can do hygiene. Yep. I might not be able to do all of it, but at least I can start with something. Yes. So the expectation is that the exam is completed, perio evaluation and risk assessment is completed, disclosing agent is completed. Yep. Don't worry, you'll leave with all the purple stuff off your teeth, but yes. I may not be able to remove all of the subgingival biofilm. And... I may need to go into SRP. Now, mm -hmm. if I'm going into SRP, I want a bacterial test. Yes. Because I don't want to just blindly go in there. So it's yeah. part of my SRP. You know what else is part of my SRP? Laser. Mm -hmm. So y you've got this, like, now we're doing five extra things that we didn't do before. How do you have that conversation with a patient that they may not be the right fit for your office if they're not able to adhere to the high level of care that you provide? Um, I, I try to meet them where they're at, but I also just let them know that this is like the new standard of care and that's the whole thing. And I think people want to know what makes you different and they want to know why it's different. They sometimes are saying no, or they're worried about it because they don't understand it yeah. and trying to break it down into really common sense 
terms for patients and it's about I'm concerned with the you're young you need SRP you know we we don't like the inflammation we don't like the bone level I want to make sure that you have your teeth when you're 40 I want to make sure you have your teeth when you're 60 I want to make sure that you don't have those problems and this is one of the key things that we have found to be very successful in helping guide us so we're going to have you save uh, spend less money and time probably here yeah. and it's going to be an easier experience for you and that's usually like that. how I present it to them yeah. and then I sit quietly and I wait, wait for them to have this response oh yeah because if we talk first then we, we lose, lose. <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly just, hey, I like the like I'm concerned phrases with yes. like no dropping of anything else like it concerns me that your gums are bleeding when yeah. I'm gently touching them Yes, exactly. When yeah. I'm gently, if and I will say to them when I'm disclosing, I'm like, you know, I am concerned because the gums are bleeding. When I'm, if you don't have a, an air polisher, I do it with a brush. I'm like, listen, I'm concerned. Yeah. The gums are bleeding from just brushing. I know when I get in there, we're going to have a concern, and I really think we should understand the risk so we can then make sure that this is, doesn't happen to you the next time you come in. Yeah. And that's really how I will bring it into a conversation, and I don't have as many people saying no to it now. Yeah, I love that. Yes. Awesome. Carrie, thank you so much for, you for, for this part me. two and part one. Yes. This was fun. It was fun. Thank you very much. I feel much like for we never me. have enough time. I know. I need a part three. I have so many more questions. We can Ooh, do Ooh, one three. last question. Uh -oh. Floss or alternatives? I am alternatives all the way. Yeah. I really am. I. We are so married to the floss ourselves as dental professionals, but our patients are not, and the results are not there. So right. I have found such better response and when you talk about new patient experience and communication, when I don't come in with, you need to be flossing, oh, they're like, yeah. oh my gosh, that's the first time someone showed me where the, my biofilm is and yeah. educated me on how easy it is to remove. And they, they didn't lecture me about flossing. I'm like, gosh. Whatever happened to the disclosing agent rinse, the ones for kids, the agent agent zero ones that used to like, you used yes. to push the bottle. I feel like that would be really helpful for adults right I now, no, not just kids. I know. I know. I fully agree. Who I think makes those? Whoever makes those, can we get well, there some was back, a, please? And there was a toothpaste at one time that you could utilize. Plaque like HD. Yes. I don't, I don't ever know. know what happened with that one. Either. I don't know either. That was a Canadian at that one when it initially started. I thought that was from GC America. It was initially, though, Canadian. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyways, we, well, we digress. We yes. digress. Sorry, peeps. We yes. said goodbye, and now yes, we're back now again. We're back. Okay, we're, okay. we're done. All right, we're done. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> Peace out, everybody. Bye. Oh, hey, so you made it all the way to the end. Thank you for sticking around, and I hope you enjoyed this episode, found it informative, entertaining, and of course, as per usual, find me hilarious. If you liked what you heard, it would really mean a lot to me if you could show your support by liking, commenting, or sharing this episode with a friend or family member. Your feedback and engagement helped me get on the mic today, and it would also improve our future shows and reach more people who maybe could benefit from our content as well. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to my podcast on your favorite platform or on YouTube. Follow along on this crazy journey with me at toothlife.irene and at toothordare.podcast on Instagram and Twitter. That way you'll be the first to know when episodes are released and you won't miss a beat. I appreciate your support and look forward to bringing you more great episodes in the future. From my team to yours, thanks again for listening and I'll catch you on the flip side.